This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong. I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson representing Transitions Life Care. And uh, Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Finally got in the garden for the first time oh, this week, nice. which is so exciting. Good to get my hands back in the dirt and planting things and the spring. Spring is here. Spring is here indeed. Nice nice week weather-wise. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. And <laughs> Sam, before the show, you are saying you got a 4 a.m. wake-up call from your cat? I did. She was so kind as to jump on my head for about uh, three hours this morning. So love that. That's, that's a great way to start off the, the weekend here. Well, we're going to have a, an interesting discussion here surrounding the North Carolina Medical Board and some background on that. And to have a thoughtful discussion on that, we are pleased to welcome Jean Brinkley. She is the Communications Director for the North Carolina Medical Board. Jean, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity for us. You know, I think that there's a lot of confusion out there about the North Carolina Medical Board and what you all do and um, kind of your purpose. Can we start there and, and talk a little bit about what is the North Carolina Medical Board's purpose? Absolutely. And you are 100% correct. <laughs> we've actually done a little bit of um, public surveying. We've done two public surveys targeting specifically North Carolina residents, people who are not involved in medicine. And we sort of had a sense that we had a problem with familiarity, and the survey really confirmed that. Um, we found that really only one in 10 North Carolinians have even heard of us. So that is our greatest challenge as an organization, is just letting people know that we exist. And it's important for people to know that we exist because the medical board's purpose is patient protection. We, we regulate medicine and surgery for the benefit and protection of the people of North Carolina. And so we're here to make sure that the quality of medical care that people receive is is up to snuff. And that's obviously something that most people care about. Um, we're just sort of in the background taking care of that priority without people knowing that we're here. I think I've passed your building downtown. <laughs> I, I've seen it. I, yeah, I, well, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because um, we used to be over close to Costco, if that's a, a navigation point. I'm it one of those people is. who navigates by landmarks, not by actual directions. So, yeah, me. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, Wake Forest and Six Forks Road, sort of close to that area. And we actually did just move um, a little bit farther um, away um, it, on um, Smoke Tree Court near the Highwoods complex. Yes. So we have a new facility. Um, the medical board had been in that uh, location near Costco for quite some time, and we were starting to outgrow it, so we did move. Well, you're right across the street from the radio here. Yeah, we're neighbors. We can maybe throw something oh, at really? you from the parking well, we, lot. We could have done this in person if, if <laughs> times were different. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, so we, um, you asked to talk about, you know, who are we, what do we do, why are we here? Um, it's kind of, you know, if you want to go way back to the beginning, um, the medical board is actually one of the oldest medical boards in the country. It was founded in 1859. And back then, um, you know, if you think back to some old movies that you may have seen, you know, that was a time when people got in their horse-drawn cart and went from town to town selling remedies. And sometimes those remedies were really 
snake oil. They weren't really anything. Um, and so people who were actually trained medical professionals at the time, people who went to medical school and actually had knowledge and skill to practice medicine, um, said, look, we've got to do something about this. Um, we need to protect patients from these snake oil salesmen. And so they lobbied the state legislature at the time to get the medical board established. And the board's purpose at that time was just to license doctors, to make sure that if somebody called themselves doctor, that they actually had completed medical school, they had completed training, that they, they knew what they were doing and that they were actually competent. So um, it's, an, it's an old history, and that's when I say that the medical board exists to protect patients, is that at the, at the basic level, if you go to somebody who says they are a doctor, that that means that they've actually gone to medical school, they've completed training, that they're competent to practice medicine safely. Um, so that's sort of a, a little bit of our, our colorful history. <laughs> I love that. I love a history lesson. It's my favorite subject in school. <laughs> so you talked a little <laughs> bit about licensing and regulating physicians. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? You know, I'm always curious, is that something that's done like annually? Are they audited every year? How is that looked at? Sure, sure. Um, so the, the first step, you know, public protection is, you know, licensing is just making sure, that, like I said, you know, people went to medical school, they completed training, they passed their exams, um, you know, they don't have, you know, a horrible history of malpractice issues, you know, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, licensing is making sure someone's safe when they come in the front door. And then, um, you know, once they're licensed, we do have to monitor, you know, the licensed physicians and physician assistants. I should pause and mm-hmm. say the medical board licenses both physicians and physician assistants. Those are our two main groups of licensees. And we've got, believe it or not, um, 55,000. Um, we just completed our mm-hmm. annual report for the year. Um, North Carolina is a state that's fortunate to have a growing um, workforce as far as physicians and PAs go. Um, but we do monitor them. And the way we do that is there's an annual requirement that if you are a licensed physician or a licensed PA, you do have to register annually or renew your license. And there is a lengthy questionnaire, lots and lots of questions that um, the physician or PA has to answer. And they tell us about all kinds of things that may have happened um, during the year. For most people, it's pretty pretty dull. There wasn't a lot of activity. You know, it's just sort of standard stuff. But on occasion, you know, there are people, um, let's say they got sued for malpractice, or let's say, you know, they got arrested, um, or, you know, their hospital took action against them because of something that happened in the hospital system. Um, There's a a whole host of things that can happen um, that they're required to report to us um, as part of that annual process. And that does generate a, a number of investigations. It's not the only method that the medical board has. Um, you know, for monitoring the the licensed population, but it, by law, there are certain things that our licensees do have to tell us if they happen, and that happens once a year. So, where do people go to find all of this information? How, can, how do you look up a medical professional, or before you are going to a doctor's appointment? Yeah. Um, how how do they find it? Right. Um, well, I mean, the the, the medical board website um, is www.ncmedboard.org. Um, and that is the main hub for, for all of our information. And I will brag just a little bit on us that um, it, it's been within the last five years, um, Consumer Reports Magazine actually did a 
thorough review of medical board websites, and North Carolina placed in the top five um, for the quality of information and also ease of use. So we are recognized nationally as one of the top medical boards. There's a lot of information there. Um, Most interest to um, to patients. Um, There's a lot of information for the licensed professionals, as you might imagine, but of most interest to patients. Um, There are two things. One is, as you alluded to, you can look up any licensed doctor or any licensed PA. Um, Every single one of them has an individual information page on our website. And so you can look somebody up um, and, you know, it's right there on the homepage. So if you go to that web address, www.ncmedboard.org, you'll see a button about halfway down the page on the right-hand side that says, look up a doctor or PA. And you just click on that button and you can put in the doctor. If, it's, if you're looking up a specific doctor, you can put in their last name, first name. That's usually the best way um, to do it. And it pulls up a list of, of doctors with that name, and you click on it, and you can see all sorts of information. Um, first and foremost, you know, are they actively licensed? It's actually unlawful to practice if you don't have an active mm-hmm. license. So we talked about that annual renewal. Um, if you let your license lapse, you don't pay the fee, you don't fill out the questionnaire, you're actually practicing medicine unlawfully. So um, that's important for patients. If they're going to a doctor, it's a great idea to go to our website, look them up, make sure the license says active, because that means they're good to go. You know? <laughs> um, and then other things, you know, you can see um, where did they go to medical school? What did they do their specialty training in? Um, you can also see if they've had any negative history. Um, it's one of the things that I think sets North Carolina apart. We do have one of the most robust physician, um, or I should say licensee profiles um, in the nation um, as far as information that you can find. So if they've had any disciplinary action um, with the North Carolina board, that will be posted. Um, You can actually look at the document. You can see exactly what they did and what the board did about it. Um, If they've had an action in another state, because it's pretty, medicine is pretty mobile. People move around. So Um, If somebody used to practice in Tennessee or California or wherever um, and they had a problem there, that will be on our website. Also, if they've got any criminal history and, you know, it's not common, but, you know, there are people who have had either misdemeanor or felony convictions that Mm -hmm. have a medical license. You can see that information on their website. Also, um, malpractice. So if somebody has had a malpractice payment that meets certain criteria, um, the fact that they have had that payment um, will be on their um, their page. So we do encourage people to check that out. Um, I will say, you know, good news is that most people don't have any of that negative information. <laughs> most people have a clean record. You're just looking to see that they're in good standing, that they're active. Um, there's other information, you know, maybe about, um, you know, languages that they speak. If, if you are not an English, English is not your first language, then there'll be information about, you know, does anyone in the practice um, speak another language? And if so, which ones and, and information like that. So um, it's a great resource for people. Um, and just to, to continue on with services that would be of interest to the public, um, the other main one that if, if people know anything about the medical board, they generally tend to know that 
we're the ones you go to if you've had a problem mm. with a doctor or a PA, um, and that's our complaint process. Well, so Jean, I, I want to ask you more questions about the uh, the complaint process. We do have to take a quick break, though. We're speaking with Jean Brinkley. She is the communications director for the North Carolina Medical Board, and we're going to continue our conversation all about the North Carolina Medical Board and the resources available to us to find information about our physicians and doctors. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic traffic. If you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online anytime to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Jean Brinkley. She is the communications director for the North Carolina Medical Board, and you can find more about them online at ncmedboard.org. ncmedboard.org. We're talking about that website Mary and uh, you know we just got into looking out uh, looking up our own doctors and finding information about them and we were going to get into a conversation about filing complaints and I, I think it's just as important to know what an organization does and what they what they can't do in terms mm-hmm. of that. I think that's a great starting point and where we kicked off right before the b- break. So Jean can you talk to us a little bit about the complaint process and what you all can and cannot do? Yes indeed I'd love to. Um, so as I said, you know, this is one of the main things that people tend to know about the medical board is that they can file a complaint, and they certainly do. Um, in fact, um, complaints from patients and the public are the number one source of investigative information um, received by the board. So um, in recent years, it's been anywhere between 1,100 and 1,300 um, complaints received from patients and the public each year. Um, most people will submit those complaints through our website online um, but we do still have a paper form. So if I know, you know, with many older folks, they don't feel comfortable using an online form, that's fine. Um, they can call us um, and request that a paper form be mailed to them, um, submit that to us. I think it's important for people to know that every complaint is taken seriously. Every complaint is reviewed by the board. Now, the board does, um, we're created by statute. We can only do what the law allows us to do. So the board can really only take action in cases where there is um, at least some potential that there was a violation of law or a violation of the ethics of the medical profession. And the reality is is that there are a number of things that are upsetting to patients that do not constitute a violation of law. So for example, um, this is one of of the more extreme examples, but we had a situation where a patient complained to the board that um, her physician had changed office locations and the new office location was significantly more inconvenient for her to reach. And she commented to the doctor that if you want me to keep seeing you, you really should provide cab fare so that I can get to your office. And the physician laughed, you know, thinking, oh, well, that's a funny joke. She's making a joke. 
And the patient was actually serious that it was a serious obstacle for, for her to get to the practice. And she wasn't sure if she could continue seeing that doctor mm-hmm. in, unless she had help with transportation. So she felt insulted. She felt that the physician hadn't taken her comment seriously and um, was upset. And so she uh, complained to the board that the physician had laughed at her. And, you know, obviously it's not reasonable to expect that a medical professional provide you with cab care um, to get to the office. So there was nothing there for the medical board to take action on. Um, That's an example of one where the board would say, you know, we're sorry you had this upsetting experience, but that's not something that we're going to be able to take action against the the physician's license um, because of. So um, keep in mind, you know, we can only do things, you know, that where there may be a violation of law or again, you know, standards of medical practice. So that, that has to do with things like the quality of the care you received or, you know, in some cases, the conduct of the medical provider. So, um, you know, a big one, you know, it's, it's not terribly common, but it is, it's something that's been in the news um, a lot more in recent years, and that is um, sexual misconduct, you know, by a medical provider. If there's inappropriate touching or even inappropriate comments, um, patients can report that to the medical board. Um, I do think, you know, a key point for people to keep in mind is that the medical board um, is not a mediation service. Um, if we don't provide any direct service to the patient. So it's important for people to know when they uh, report a concern to us, we're not going to step in and mediate a solution or solve their problem. The reason that you complain to the board is because you want your provider held accountable and you want to prevent whatever happened in your situation to happening to someone else. That's how we protect the public. And I'll tell a, a, a quick story to explain that. So we had a case where there was a family medicine um, provider um, decided that his practice should start offering screening colonoscopy. Colonoscopy is an important um, preventive screening. You can absolutely catch cancer early, um, save lives, you know, doing colonoscopy. So with the best of intentions, this family medicine practice started doing colonoscopy in the office. Um, and the intent really was just to make sure that more patients had this important screening. Well, a patient underwent colonoscopy in the office. There were complications with anesthesia and that patient died um, from camp complications with anesthesia. The surviving spouse of that patient reported the concern to the medical board. The medical board investigated and found that the medical practice didn't have the appropriate equipment to monitor patients who were under anesthesia and the medical staff attending the procedures hadn't been appropriately trained to be alert to those types of complications. So the colonoscopy was being done in a manner that was below the accepted standards of medical practice. It wasn't safe. So the medical board stepped in and took action to make sure that that provider, who otherwise had a spotless history with the board, had never you know, had any sort of action or any issues, but in this case, the board stepped in and said, you're not allowed, you are limited. In fact, limited that person's license that said you're no longer allowed to do colonoscopy um, in your office. But you know, I, I tell that story because obviously there is absolutely nothing that the medical board could have done to bring that spouse's right. um, loved one back. 
there's nothing that the medical board could have done to correct that situation, but what the board could do was step in and make sure it didn't happen to anybody else. And so I think that that's, that's the best illustration I can think of of sort of how we work to protect the public is that we step in to make sure that someone who's not practicing safely or appropriately, that they can't do it anymore. And that, you know, that a patient who was harmed, at least they can take satisfaction in knowing that they brought something to our attention and give the board the opportunity to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else. Absolutely. I think those are great examples, too, that you've kind of given about what you know, the medical board can and, and can't do for people and kind of how it can, can help that regulation process. So we also wanted right. to talk a little bit today about your podcast, uh, MedBoard Matters. So yeah. we've listened. There's a great episode a couple weeks ago with Secretary Cohen on the COVID vaccine rollout. Can you share a little bit with us yeah, about what you. you're working on and some of the upcoming topics? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so this is our, our new baby. Um, the medical board launched this <laughs> in September. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, going right back to the beginning, um, just letting people know that we're here um, is, is our biggest challenge. And, you know, as you probably know, I mean, you know, people are busy um, and, and people don't really have an appetite, you know, for just going to a website and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, let me learn about the medical board today. You know, it's not something that most people say to themselves when they have a little free time. So, um, so we are always looking for ways to put together information about who we are and what we do in a way that's more palatable, that's, you know, easier to digest, maybe even a little bit fun, you know, to, to listen to. So uh, we decided that we were going to try a podcast and we have, as I said, been doing that since September. Um, you know, we, we do have two audiences. So we've been talking mostly about the public. Um, our two audiences that we serve are the public, but also the medical professionals we license. Um, although the board does discipline providers, um, really, our, our larger goal is to help them stay informed of the rules and all of the things that they need to be doing so they can avoid getting in trouble. So that's one of our main goals. And then as far as the public goes, again, awareness that we're here and then talking about um, things that we're doing that might affect them, that might improve the quality of care um, available to them, or just how to navigate the medical system or other things that we talk about. So. Um, in the past, you know, we have done an overview of the complaint process. So anyone who is listening to this who wants to know more, um, there's a podcast episode on our website where you can listen to a whole, I think it's about a 20, 30-minute segment that's on the complaint process. And we talk to people who work um, at the board who do that, who process complaints, who can talk at, in more detail about how that works. Um, you know, the COVID-19 obviously is a topic that people are hearing a lot about on the medical board. We're not directly involved in the state's COVID response, but we have um, been supporting the state in any way we can. One of the key ways, frankly, is communicating information, um, both to the public, but more importantly to our licensees. We're unique in that we do have direct access to all of those licensed physicians and PAs in the state. And um, when we did have Secretary Cohen on, a few weeks ago, um, you know, our goal there was really, uh, you know, to have her have the opportunity to really speak directly to the licensed physicians and PAs in the state and say, what can they do to help, you know, outside of volunteering, um, you know, to to vaccinate? What else can they do? And honestly, um, you know, what she said was, you know, that one of the main things people can do if they are licensed physicians or PAs is just to talk to people, talk to their patients about the vaccine and um, ask them if they know 
you know, what their plan is. Are they planning to get it? Do they know where to get information? Do they need help? Do they have questions? Um, so that was great. Um, as far as, you know, what's coming up, um, you know, we, we are going to be doing a show um, that is really sort of based on our annual report, which, um, you know, we'll sort of take a look back at 2020. Um, it, it is, you know, sort of heavily um, COVID-19 themed <laughs> because like all organizations, um, you know, the medical board had to figure out how to keep going um, amidst very challenging circumstances. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we'll talk in a little bit more detail about how the board did support the state's COVID response. One of the interesting things, for example, um, I, I mentioned that we've got 55,000 licensed physicians and PAs in North Carolina. Um, last year was a huge year. If you just look at, um, we had a 7% increase in the licensee population. So in the physician and PA population, a lot of that was motivated by COVID um, because we, um, we have a special type of license, an emergency temporary license, that lets people come into our state to assist during an emergency. And we had almost 2,000 physicians and PAs seek emergency temporary licenses so they can assist with North Carolina's medical needs during the pandemic. A lot of that, we suspect, is probably people who are practicing telemedicine because so many people um, started using telemedicine. They didn't want to go in person to uh, to protect themselves and to to um, you know prevent the spread. So um, that was really interesting. It turned out that like one in four of the licenses that the medical board issued in 2020 had to do with COVID in some way. Wow, that is a, a huge bump. And Gene, I'm sorry, we're just out of time here. We do have to take another break. I wanna thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the information about the North Carolina Medical Board. You can go online to ncmedboard.org, ncmedboard.org. And don't forget to check out their podcast, the MedBoard Matters podcast. Again, you can find that on their website, ncmedboard.org. Com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and we're going to change topics at the moment right now and you know so often we're uh, we're thrust into a, a caregiving scenario where uh, we don't exactly know everything that we need to and we're going to be having a conversation about choosing mobility equipment that's right for you and to do that we've brought in Dave Tuckler he's the owner of Mobility City of Wake County Dave thanks so much for joining us today Great to be here you know, I think that with COVID and something that we talk a lot about on the show in our own caregiving journeys is knowing when's right. And with COVID, you you walk into sometimes a situation where you haven't seen mom or dad in a while, and they're just not getting around mm -hmm. as well as they used to. They're not rocking and rolling. And, <laughs> um, and I think that 
mobility equipment, this is the perfect timing to have this conversation as people are let back into facilities or are getting their vaccines and seeing, you know, mom, dad, grandma and grandpa for the first time. Um, Dave, can you talk to us a little bit about what is what devices and what range of devices does mobility equipment cover? Uh, what is that? What exactly is it? Boy, you know, and if you think of a spectrum from, you know, medical to recreational, it's kind of everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. There are things that are very recreational, like mobility scooters to enable someone to go out to the mailbox or down the street. Uh, That's not a medical necessity. It's just a quality of life thing. On the other hand, you've got um, patient lifts that, you know, are necessary to transport someone from bed into, say, a power wheelchair. So it's everything in between, including beds, uh, lift chairs, power wheelchairs, um, a whole array of, of things in there. Mm-hmm. What are some key features that people should be looking for when when starting to get into this industry and thinking about what kind of equipment do I need? What what does my loved one need? Um, what should be, they be looking for in an equipment and in services? Yeah, well, you know, luckily for everyone, I have come up with um, three sort of guidelines to think about if if you're not familiar um, with this with this world, and it's we call it why, try, and buy. And I think the most important one up front is why, is what are you trying to solve? Um, It's sort of, you know, the old adage that people buy drills, but they really need holes. And people say, I need a device, but really what they want is independence for themselves or a loved one. So the first step and the most important step is really thinking hard about what is it that we're trying to get done? Is it, if it's a mobility scooter or chair, is it getting around the house? If it is a bed, are we trying to resolve for some medical condition? Giving that uh, some thought ahead of time, figuring out what the priorities are, can really uh, help whoever is selling do a better job in matching the right equipment to the need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about um, specifically for wheeled mobility devices? You know, we recently needed to get a rollator for my grandmother and even just getting kind of that, what one would think is a sort of simple piece of equipment was kind of a confusing process. Um, is there an evaluation process that someone needs to do? Do they need to get like an order from their physician? How does that work? Um, you know, it's, it, there's a bunch of ways to do it. And, you know, a lot of times people come in with a prescription mm-hmm. uh, that, that dictates if they want to. Now, we don't handle Medicare. Um, but, you know, people make claims, and if they come in with a prescription, it'll specifically say you need this or that device. But even if you, say, need a just a basic rollator, and a rollator is just like a walker mm-hmm. uh, with higher handles, four wheels, uh, there's a variety of things um, that you can look for. And, it, you know, some of them are style and some of them are comfort. And, you know, I talked about the why, try, and the buy. The try is the second part, which is they may look identical and one of them just feels right. And, you know, you got to go with that one. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of people come in person right now to try uh, equipment before they buy it? Yes, mm-hmm. we do. Um, there's the Internet out there with a lot of, you know, appealing things. We always encourage people to come in because and I can give you, you know, some examples of it. But they think they know what they want. And then they come here and they're like, oh, I didn't want that at all. I need this other thing. Mm-hmm. And it was things that they didn't expect. I'll give you one example is. People say, I need the stability of, say, a four-wheel scooter, which is great. Uh, They come in here and they find out they've got some neuropathy or lipedema Mm -hmm. or whatever else that makes conforming to the scooter's fenders, because it's got one fender on the right and one on the left up front, that's uncomfortable. 
a three-wheel scooter doesn't have that, and they find that that's way more comfortable for them. But they, no one is ever going to tell them that online. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of, we're in a couple different caregiving groups on mm-hmm. Facebook and um, like chat groups and things like that that we help respond to. And I see a lot of people giving away used equipment. Um, is that really a thing that people should be doing? Because it feels like with what you're talking about, there's a process that is specific and custom to mm-hmm. the person. Is When you start getting into used equipment, you're using equipment that was meant for somebody else. Do you see this a lot? Yeah, we do. And it's, I think it's great. You know, there's a, a very healthy secondary market for equipment. And, you know, a lot of times you get into, you know, senior living facilities mm-hmm. and you lose some of the residents there and people will very often donate out of the kindness of their heart, whether it's to a veterans group or whether mm-hmm. it's um, somewhere else. And they can be, you know, a lot of these things are pretty general, you know, the size changes, uh, but generally speaking, if it fits, it's a good idea. So I, you know, and we have some used equipment here because some some people just can't afford the price point of new, mm-hmm. and that gives them a great option. So I'm a big supporter of, you know, recycling the equipment, making sure it's safe, uh, which is what we do, but it can serve a whole bunch of people who, you know, again can't fork over what they need to to get something new. Definitely, you mentioned that you sell used equipment too, which is awesome. Um, but can folks also rent, or do you just buy to own? No, we do a lot of rental. In fact, that's where I was this morning delivering a chair, uh, best part of the job. But, yeah, uh, people who have had, I mean, ironically, shoulder surgeries need uh, lift recliners Mm -hmm. because they can't sleep comfortably in their bed. So we do a lot of hospital bed rentals. We do a lot of lift chair rentals, scooters, power chairs, anything. Visitors uh, need to rent stuff. So, you know, everything that there's a need for, um, we have a rental market for. So you touched briefly on Medicare earlier. What does insurance cover or not cover? Um, you know, basic insurance is Medicare. What are we looking at here? Yeah, and so, you know, this is the closest I got to becoming a doctor is talking <laughs> about this stuff. Sorry, Mom. Um, so I'm not a Medicare or insurance expert. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can tell you is um, generally coverage is going to be the least cost option. Mm-hmm. So for example, if it's a hospital bed, they have the, the basic, basic uh, meat and potatoes bed is a brown bed that uh, is semi-automatic, meaning you have automatic controls for the head and the legs, but you have kind of a Model T crank mm-hmm. to uh, make it go higher or lower. That's what they will cover. You know, if you need something bigger than that, then it, you know, it's on you to make mm-hmm. up the difference. And the same thing goes a lift chair. A lift chair, they will cover the motor. Uh, and the rationale is the only thing that makes this different from a lazy boy is the motor <laughs> that lifts it up. That's so they're true. going to cover the motor. Um, so it is, you know, you get basics, you get good enough. Uh, they are not generally going to cover a thing like a mobility scooter where it's a quality of life issue uh, to get to the mailbox. If it, it needs to be essential, like I need a power wheelchair in my house to get from the kitchen to the bathroom and I can't do it otherwise, mm-hmm. that's more than likely the sort of thing that's going to be covered. Uh, what is not covered, we do these, but they're not covered at all, is stair lifts or any home improvement like mm-hmm. ramps. Those things are, generally speaking, not covered. A stair lift is the thing that uh, is the chair that glides up the steps. Mm-hmm. So any kind of home improvement things, uh, we rarely if ever find that covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or insurance. Are any of these items uh, tax deductible? You know, you stumped a professor. I can't answer that one. Yes. I'm so sorry. I wasn't an accountant either. 
<laughs> That's okay. Should people be shopping around for prices, or are they similar at different dealers? Or what is, what's something we should be looking for when looking for a mobility dealer? Yeah, and so we talked about the why, which is what exactly do you need? I want to expound on that just briefly. And that is what is the essential thing, because people want it to do everything, every circumstance. If you travel with it, is it once a year or is it every day kind of thing? And we talked about the try, which is you got to come in and you got to try it out uh, unless you're really experienced and you know exactly what you want. And then it's the buy part. And uh, again, if you have bought this model and you're just shopping for a price, go for it. Uh, for someone who is not like that, um, you'll find that pricing is pretty comparable. Uh, if you, you know, we match internet pricing, we have to. And so what makes things different is service after the sale, someone you can call on the ground who can take care of warranty issues, parts issues, and that sort of thing. Um, in my mind, since price is pretty much equalized, um, it's really uh, making sure that you have the peace of mind that uh, your investment is going to be taken care of after the sale. Yeah, that's some great information. He is Dave Tuckler. He is the owner of Mobility City of Wake County. Dave, is MobilityCity.com the best way for folks to find more information about you? Yeah, uh, MobilityCity.com. Look for the locations and look for North Carolina. Or they can go to our Facebook page. Just look for Mobility City of Wake County, and you'll find it. Perfect. Dave, thank you so much for your time. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. And ladies, it is it is about that time. It is about that time, <laughs> time of the year for the Caregivers Summit is uh, happening again this year. And Mary, you know, we had a, a huge success. Congratulations to Transitions Life Care for bringing the Caregivers Summit into a virtual environment. And uh, is, is that the plan again for 2021? Yes, yes. <laughs> With COVID, you know, we just want to keep everybody safe and especially caregivers who are taking care of a loved one who um, is aging or dealing with a life-limiting illness. So we just want to be super careful. So we are continuing our virtual event this year. We were super successful last year. We had over um, 1,500 caregivers register and for the virtual event, and it went off wonderfully. Sam, I know that you've attended both personal and virtually. Yes, I've done both. <laughs> um, we sadly want to see everybody in person again. I used to have so much fun at the caregivers. They summits. are a lot of fun. I used to, back in the day when I started at Transitions, I actually, one of my big roles was helping run some stuff behind the scenes at the Caregivers Summit. So, But I think the virtual events are actually, you know, while we love to get together in person, are a really awesome opportunity because it allows people who may live a lot further out. Mm -hmm. I know for myself covering Johnston and Harnett counties, it was hard for folks to get to some of them. So I think it's awesome to really open it up to even more folks virtually on that platform. 
Absolutely. That's a great point. And, you know, and they're also available after, you know, it's not just the day of. You can still go back and watch the webinars later if you remember a point that you can go back and reference it. Um, So that that has also been a benefit of the virtual conference last year and something that we're carrying into this year as well. Um, So this year we're going to be running four one-hour webinars in April on the business of caregiving. They're on Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and there'll be a one-hour webinar hosted by myself. Um, Mary, and each webinar will have two to three panel experts on a variety of topics such as legal planning, how to pay for long-term care, uh, Medicaid and Medicaid managed care, and Medicare and Medicare Advantage plans. Um, so for example, we'll have the Clarity Legal Group for April 8th. They'll be talking about healthcare power of attorneys, living wills, and healthcare agents. Um, so they really can t- kind of talk through some of those critical things mm-hmm. about having these things in place and because it can create a lot of challenges. Um, So that will be our April 8th, and then we have one on April 15th, 22nd, and April 29th. Um, They are free, uh, 100% free. These are provided, these webinars are provided via Zoom, so a um, Zoom platform. We're kind of moving away from the app that we had last year and doing these um, on a Zoom platform in a live format, and hopefully this year that will bring the opportunity for people to ask questions to our experts live, which is something they didn't have the ability to do last year, and we wanted to make sure that we had that this year. So free webinars via Zoom, um, hour-long, and like Sam said, it's remote, so family members from across the country can attend, and Mm -hmm. caregivers who can't leave their loved ones alone are also encouraged to attend, and I think that that would be really great for many people. the co- there is no cost, like I said, and all of that is made possible because of the generosity of our sponsors who continue to support caregivers uh, like ourselves mm-hmm. and our listeners. Um, and I also want to thank our strategic partners, the Dementia Alliance of North Carolina and Alzheimer's Association of Eastern North Carolina. Uh, so to sign up for the Caregivers Summit this year, uh, you can go to caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org, and email any questions if you have them to summit at transitionslifecare.org. Once again, sign up at caregiversummit.org and email at summit at transitionslifecare.org. Um, Sam, I'm so sad, though, because we want to see everybody in person. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Hopefully very, very soon. Yes. I, I, I just The food was always good. There yes. was entertainment. And it got us out in, because there was four or five, four, right, mm-hmm. um, across the different areas. It got us out to see some of um, our partners and our community members across all of our communities, which was great. I loved going to the one in Harnett County. Yes. Um, it's just, Me too. <laughs> special spot in my heart. I think the great thing, too, is that other caregivers also get to connect and meet with each other too which is huge yeah. so we look forward to doing that soon hopefully yes. there's we i mean facebook groups can only get us so far That's with true. chatting with people <laughs> um but i completely agree and hopefully we can get back to normal next year after everyone's had their vaccines and sam's fully vaccinated i am now. Woohoo! uh last week right yes as of last uh thursday fully vaccinated ready to roll and excellent jason's on the radar i'm i'm on the list <laughs> Be careful, Raleigh. I'm on the list. (laughs) Well, Mary and Sam, thank you so much. We're just about out of time for today. Don't forget, you can register for the Caregiver Summit. It is such a wonderful resource if you have questions or you fear that uh, you know a, a caregiving journey may be in your future. It's a, a great opportunity to get plenty of information. And as Mary said, it's free. It's free to attend. Just go to caregiversummit.com 
wptf.org. And we also have a link at wptf.com. If you click on the podcast button and then head to the Aging Matters section, you'll find a link to the Caregiver Summit there. You'll also find uh, podcasts of all the episodes of Aging Matters if you want to go back and listen to anything in our archive. Caregiversummit.org is the website to go to. We are out of time for today. We hope you will join us again next weekend for Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.